Our heart sponsor for today is the 501c3 nonprofit National Treasures Artists in Residence. We are supporting them by offering an audience-requested masterclass on business plan writing. Over 30 days, you will receive daily emails with micro-tasks broken down over the month that will give you a complete plan. This will help you assemble your ideas, communicate your concept to others, and raise capital. Participants will be eligible for prizes that will help you polish your plan to optimize success. Visit AchievePodcast.com forward slash business plans with an S to register. Our mind sponsor for today is Twin Flame Studios. We are thrilled to be co-hosting a webinar with them on November 12th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time to share insights on the benefits executives and companies can experience with podcasting. With over 68 million Americans listening to podcasts weekly, companies and organizations are sitting up and taking notice. The truth is, compared to podcasts focused in the entertainment industries, podcasting for business outcomes and applications have unique considerations to become a highly effective addition to your company's marketing and culture. Join us on the 12th for this educational event where we'll focus on getting podcasting ROI, external versus internal podcasting, and executive podcast guesting to demystify this powerful medium. Visit AchievePodcast.com forward slash webinars with an S at the end to register. On this episode, we have Christina Bingham-Jones. Christina moved to Los Angeles at the age of five. When she was seven, she faced tragedy when her father passed away because of cancer. This became an important life mission later for her as she published a book to help kids cope with the loss of a parent or loved one when young. In the interim, she earned her college degree in Florida and lived in Miami for a number of years, involved in marketing as an advertising art director and as a cheerleader for Miami Heat, following a passion for dance that developed when she was a toddler. She's also been a highly successful entrepreneur, being a founder of a company called Court Buddy, becoming only the 14th African-American female to raise more than $1 million in investment capital for a tech startup. She sold her interest in that company in 2019. In addition to her book, she is the founder of Guardian Lane, a video sharing and telecounseling platform focused on children's grief counseling. Christina, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share my my journey and my story with your listeners. Well, I appreciate your willingness to do that. And uh, so we, we actually have a, a native Angelino with us. Uh, one of the few, one of the rare, and uh, you left for a number of years, but you came back to us. Uh, and I'm saying us, I've been here 20 years, so I've decided that I can call myself an Angelino now, but you would be in a position to tell me if that's accurate or not. Yeah, 20 years, yeah, you, you've conformed. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, okay. But you're a native, so um, you were born here. What, what brought your family to LA originally? So I actually was not born here. I was oh, whoops. Family born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, <laughs> all right. Had that whole thing wrong, my bad. No, it's okay. But I, I mean, I've been in California since I was five, so. All right, okay, good. A little redemption there. So uh, you are basically an Angelino. <laughs> um, well, so you were born in Minneapolis. You came to LA at five. What brought you here at uh, at five? I'd have to ask my parents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hopped on a plane with my little suitcase. 
we're gonna go with weather we're just gonna say that you know there are no bad winters in yeah Hawaii. well no my mom is actually native so i think you know after a couple years of winters in <laughs> minneapolis she's like i've had enough i'm getting my, my daughter back to the sunny sunny state nice nice um well uh you weren't here very long before you faced some personal tragedy and uh to the extent you're comfortable sharing with us um you know walk us through uh what happened yeah so at the age of seven so you're right after shortly after i moved to california we were actually in orange county at the time uh, my dad uh, had cancer. He developed cancer and started to get very ill. And at the age of seven, he, he passed away. Okay. And I, I mean, I remember the day like it was yesterday. My wow. grandfather picked me up from school. He lived in LA. The moment I saw my grandfather at my school, I was like, uh-oh, yeah. this isn't good. Um, wow. And so I, you know, had to figure out ways mentally to, you know, cope with that. At such a young age, you start questioning what life is about, you know, how do people, why do people die? Why do people that you love leave you? And so I just internally came up with ways to stay connected to my father, you know, whether that be little signs or signals that we hear and I would say, oh, you know, that's my, that's my dad saying hi or. Oh, that's so beautiful actually. Very make him feel uh, like he was still around. I mean, seven years old, that's basically first grade. Yeah, 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 yeah. It uh, is really amazing the um, wisdom you had to, to do those things to help you with your grieving process. Thank you. Um, and I imagine, um, you know, you, you mentioned your grandfather, did he become a more important uh, figure in your life after your father passed? Um, you know, we were, my mom and I stayed in Orange County for probably another year, year and a half. And my grandparents were in Los Angeles. Um, to be honest, I, I really actually, sorry, you're taking me way back. (laughs) (laughs) thing deep we were in LA more often so yeah my grandparents were more of a presence in my life yeah yeah um it's really beautiful what you shared about seeing the presence of your father in in different phenomena you were experiencing um what uh what else would you like draw pictures of him as reminders or uh write letters maybe just share with us a little bit about what you went through, given how vivid that memory is for you. Yeah. You know, it was really about more spiritual moments. Um, So like taking everyday occurrences, just random occurrences and making up my own story in my head of how it related to my father. Why did I hear that noise? You know, and I would just develop these little stories in my head on on ways that that noise was somehow created by by my dad to you know remind me that he was he was alive in fact our shower would always just pop open at random times 
and every time it popped open, I would be like, hey, dad, <laughs> you know, like, really like he was coming to, to say hi. Wow. Um, and actually throughout, right after my father passed, I had a lot of people actually pass. My grandfather actually passed a couple of years later. Mm. Um, I had aunts and uncles. And what's interesting, and to this day, I feel like I've built up a resilience, if you could say, for, for death. Um, I, I think it's, it's clearly become a part of my experience at such an early age that you know now when i experience a death it's more of a calm experience than wow. emotional oh my gosh i can't believe this happened yeah yeah um and it's funny my my aunt a couple years ago was in the hospital and one of her nurses came in and she even told me i can't remember the term she said she said your presence is so calming amazing <laughs> and I just feel like, you know, throughout the years of having to, to cope with, with death, I've kind yeah. of built yeah. up this, this um, I don't want to say tolerance, but an understanding yeah. um, for it. Well, it, it just feels like this uh, amazing maturity and emotional intelligence around grieving. Yeah. Which, um, please, go ahead. I was going to say another thing that I feel like kind of translated into my adult life um, was the fact that I never want to stay mad at someone hmm. because I know how fleeting life can be. Hmm. That whenever I have an experience where I'm angry or, you know, someone has made me upset, I instantly am like, it's not worth it. It is not worth it. Well, that is very emotionally intelligent. Um, <laughs> I know uh, people three times your age who aren't that uh, skilled <laughs> at doing that. Um, were you angry with your father? Was that an emotion you felt when he passed? No, not at all. Not at all. Mm. Um, in the moment, I know it was shock. Mm. And I, I remember the first words, like the only words that I said to my mom, were, you know, I don't have a dad now. Yeah. Wow. Like what? What? What does this? Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk about the book in a minute. But uh, my aunt recently told me she remembers me coming down the stairs and me asking, "Was it my fault? Wow. How crazy is that?" Yeah. She said, "I said, was I too loud?" Oh my goodness. When I heard that, oh my gosh, my heart broke. <laughs> like yeah. the fact that I I thought it was because of me, you know? Yeah. Um, Seven-year-old brain. <laughs> well, no, that's exactly right. But that's, that's also very normal. It's like, uh, that's a, a prototypical reaction. Um, but that also has positioned you to be in a great place to do what you're doing now, which, as you said, we will get into. But before we jump there, um, I know dance was a big part of your career. I'm imagining that it had its seed planted when you were young. So how old were you when you first started dancing? Oh, I think my mom put me in dance at two. Wow. Yeah, dance is all. <laughs> you know, my mom always wanted to be a ballerina. 
and oh. she pursued it. So she was yeah. like, I have a daughter, you're going to pursue it. Wow. Nice. Well, that's great. And what style of dance did you gravitate towards? So I started off with the traditional, you know, forms of dance. So ballet, jazz. And as I got older, uh, got into more hip hop, contemporary. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, you've shared with me that uh, your mom remarried. How old were you when that happened? I was actually 10 years old when my mom got remarried. Okay. A few years later. And uh, what you've shared is that um, you're, um, you have a stepsister and she had lost her mom. Was that... Yeah. Also due to cancer or? It was actually due to uh, pneumonia. Oh, she goodness. Yeah. Wow. I mean, when you hear that, it just feels like it's so preventable. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, and, and uh, what was her age relative to yours when your parents got married? She is uh, close to four years younger than me. Okay. All right. So you had uh, a baby sister for a yeah. good portion of, of your life. Um, so tell us about uh, middle school, high school, other than dance, what were the things you were doing um, for fun, for engagement? What made you happy? I was, I was very much into theater mm. and, and the arts. Um, that was, I guess, and it's funny that we're bringing this up. I've never kind of, combined my experience with my father with my love of dance mm -hmm. and I always felt like it was an outlet just a, a a way to express myself and and almost ground me and so I'm sure the two had had some sort of connection um absolutely and yeah I always was interested in theater and, and acting I, I was that child that needed everyone's attention in the room and you would put on just show after show after show <laughs> and I, I should check with your husband and see if that's still the case <laughs> well now i have a daughter who's doing the same thing so <laughs> you, you have to cede the stage to her <laughs> yeah, mama exit stage left it's now the daughter's turn <laughs> exactly. I love that. Wow. Um, well, it's, uh, you know, the, 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 of course, there's a correlation, and not only in terms of your mentioning how dance was an outlet, but the desire to be seen and heard is a natural reaction to, to losing a parent that young because you would have been suffused with that love and attention by, by another parent. And, uh, you know, your mom had a heavy burden on her to be a single mother and um, provide and, and raise you. So um, that, uh, that makes uh, a lot of sense. So um, what was the decision to, uh, that, that fueled you going to, to Miami? Oh, goodness. Um, what's funny is I actually wanted to go to Boston randomly. This is a random story. Um, <laughs> You're like, I was born in the cold. I'm going to go back to the cold. <laughs> you know, I, I once had an article written in college about how the transitions in my life are just kind of random. So as I told you, I was into theater. 
I was in like a theater school in high school. You know, I was auditioning for, for shows. I almost didn't go to college immediately because I, I was um, about to get booked for a musical with, gosh, I don't think it was Morgan Freeman. It was <laughs> another um, older African-American male actor. I can't remember his name now. But I had really gone down that lane of acting and, and um, performing. But randomly, I wanted to go to school for marine biology. Oh, <laughs> but I think it's because my mom always said, make your acting and dance, singing, all of that, a hobby. A Never hobby, make yeah. your career. Yeah, that makes and sense. So I, I chose marine biology for my love of the ocean um, and wanted to go to Boston University of all places. The <laughs> universe was like, Christina, you're crazy. <laughs> um, and so what's funny is I actually was getting rejected from a lot of the, the top schools. And my counselors, my high school counselors were confused. I was confused. I was an extremely well-rounded student, you know, great grades, extracurricular, you know, tons of extracurricular. Uh, and so one day, um, one of my teachers actually called Boston University and they said, hey, can you give us any insight into why Christina didn't get in? And they said, the only reason why she didn't get in is because she selected marine biology. If she would have selected undecided, she would have gotten in immediately. Oh, sorry. No, no, please tell me why marine biology was to your detriment. Yeah, so because I guess they grouped the marine biology students with the pre-med students. So I was against all of the valedictorians across the country. But if I would have just selected undecided, I would have gotten in. I feel like that was the universe saying, Christina, marine biology, come on, in Boston? <laughs> well, there's a good point there uh, <laughs> that you raised that I won't contest. I'm not going to argue with the universe. Um, but, you know, it's funny. When we, we don't get what we want, we get what we need. Often it's seems to be a theme. Um, but I can't leave this without asking the question of, you know, why marine biology? Is that something that developed as a passion for you? Yeah, you know, in school, um, when I think it was in like the fourth grade, we had a project on dolphins. Mm. And I just fell in love with the concept of studying dolphins. <clears throat> and, um, Oh my gosh, my room at the time was decorated in dolphins. Okay, wow. I, I loved going to, to SeaWorld with my parents. It's just, I had a, you know, a, a love for, for marine life. In fact, it's funny, in high school, I volunteered at the Santa Monica Pier. And underneath wow. the pier, they yeah. have a little, uh, uh, like a marine yeah. area for kids. Right. Um, and, and touch like a, um, I forgot the name of it, like a, a touch pond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A touch zoo or petting zoo, yeah. like a, yeah. a marine version of that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I actually spent a couple summers um, volunteering there. Wow. And I just had a, a love for, for the ocean. And so I, I thought that was the career I wanted to, to go into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Miami got you to a warmer part of that ocean warmer part of the Atlantic so uh 
probably a blessing uh, in disguise. Um, so you attended uh, Florida International University and you developed a fondness for marketing. Yeah, so what's funny is, so I went to FIU. I knew nothing about this school. Um, I had gotten into FIU and Bear University. Bear University was pretty much giving me a full scholarship. So my mom was like, you're going to Barry. Um, but the day we went for, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the day we went for a tour of the school, it was in the middle of nowhere. I'm coming from Los Angeles, a big city. I was like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. I remember the admissions office smelled like my grandmother's house. <laughs> I was like, this, this doesn't feel right. And so I was like, mom, can we just go see FIU? And I remember the second we hit the entrance, I felt like this is where I was supposed to be. Literally nothing about the school. Wow. But I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, and so I started the marine biology program there. And again, the universe was sp speaking to me. And I was not doing well in my science classes. <laughs> uh, my grades were not reflecting uh, the confidence that, that I felt that I had. Right. Um, and so I, I started looking at other, other avenues. And so I really, you know, did some soul searching and thought, you know, what, what do I love to do? And one thing was projects. I was like, I love projects, creative projects. Um, I was that kid in your high school that outperformed everyone when it was time to do an essay. Rather than just reading the essay, I came and performed a monologue <laughs> of the essay in full costume. So I was, you know, I always took assignments and brought it to the next level. Right. So is there a career where I can do that? And that's kind of how I landed on marketing and advertising. Brilliant. <laughs> it spoke to your nature. I mean, I'm just thinking back to what you shared, how as a kid, you liked to be in the limelight, <laughs> like to have the attention and you found a way to go grab it. Well done, Christina. That's awesome. And so uh, what you ended, when you graduated, you actually worked for, I saw two different ad agencies, um, kind of just starting from, from the ground up. Um, but then um, you made your way to Miami Heat for two years. Yeah. So after FIU, I realized to go into an advertising agency, you actually need a portfolio. Mm -hmm. They don't care about your degree. Right. And I graduated FIU with like zero work. <laughs> zero, I don't want to say zero work. I had work, but it wasn't on a professional level that mm -hmm. I could submit to an agency. So I actually went to Florida International. Uh, sorry, not Florida. I'm sorry. <laughs> Miami Ad School? I went to Miami Ad School. Right, right. And that is a portfolio program specifically for advertising. And... <clears throat> students out of Miami ad school go straight to the top agencies. And so luckily they have a campus in Miami, even though they're Miami ad school, they have campuses in all over the world. <laughs> right. um, and what's funny is my parents, they were like, we're not going to pay for something where you don't get a degree. Mm. They're like the portfolio, like you get a piece of 
like you need a degree. Yeah. yeah. So luckily, FIU had a master's program um, that was connected with FIU. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> FIU had a master's program that was connected with Miami Ed. Miami Ed School. Gotcha. So okay. I got my master's so, while I also got a portfolio. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So you basically right after you got your bachelor's, you matriculated to get your master's yeah, yeah. combined program, Miami Ad School and FIU. That's great. But you, you mentioned the Miami Heat and that was actually in between the schools. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, and um, I heard that uh, you were only meant to be with Miami Heat for a year, but then your pal LeBron James convinced you to stay for a second year. Someone watched my YouTube video. <laughs> a nice gesture on uh, LeBron's part. Um, so my experience with the Heat was was phenomenal. Um, I mean, not only did I get to have the experience of the games, and again, going back to that performance piece in my life, it was just, of all the stages I have been on, this was the largest stage. But they also allowed me to travel the world, um, we went to Indonesia, to China, um, to Europe. Oh. So they allowed me to see the world, you know, for free That's while cool. doing something that I loved. And so I ended up doing it for two seasons and then decided, you know, I, I need to move on with my career, going back to my mom's voice. Sure, sure. Sorry, oh. LeBron. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> but LeBron wasn't there yet, actually. Oh, okay. This was pre-LeBron. I see. While I was in Miami ad school, LeBron came to the heat. Ah, okay. And well, that just sort of kills that whole line of humor. <laughs> well, no, I remember thinking, should I stop school and go <laughs> dance again? <laughs> I just knew the amount of attention that LeBron and um, Bosch were bringing to the city. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh my gosh, the opportunities those dancers were going to get. Well, I should have said it a different way. I should have said that you did two seasons at Miami Heat and even LeBron James couldn't convince you <laughs> exactly. to, to stay longer yeah. because you were determined to promote your career. Yeah. Which is really yeah. admirable. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us about, uh, the, you, you became art director at a few locations. Um, I think junior art director to start with, with uh, for Marion Carson, is it called? Was that the first job right after your master's? Yeah, that was the first job. Um, and it was actually in San Diego. All right. So tell us about that transition coming back to the West Coast. Yeah, so... I always wanted to come back to California. I had met my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. Nice. And, uh, and was he studying at FIU as well? Oh, he was actually an attorney at the time. Okay. okay. In Miami. In Miami. Okay. Yeah. And um, he, for some reason, did not like Los Angeles. Oh. He was like, I, I, sorry, I will never move to LA. But then randomly, he was like, I'll move for you, but we can move to San Diego. And I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take San Diego. Let's get out of here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 2,950 miles closer to LA. Right. 
so um, I actually went out there first and found uh, Marion Carson. Yeah. I had this crazy story. I had emailed them, I think even before we had decided to move, just kind of putting feelers out. And the day I was going to find an apartment, the morning of, I was about to board the flight um, to go to San Diego. I got an email from them saying, hey, sorry for our late reply. Um, we'd love to schedule an interview with you. <laughs> I was like, um, of all timing, yeah. I'm actually going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> It just so, so happens. I know, I know. So ended up doing the interview while I was down there and and got the job immediately. Wow, They're like, when can you start? I was like, I still live in Miami. <laughs> give me a week. <laughs> wow, that's all you asked for a week. That's great. Yeah, yeah I said, give me a week. I, I feel like that's my life. I, I move quickly. <laughs> I'm not afraid to pick up and leave. Right. The decisions uh, made you're gonna yeah. make that happen wow that's great <laughs> and then your uh was he your fiance at the time boyfriend still he had yes he was my fiance at the time okay yeah. so then he joined you and uh you got settled in, in san diego um from there you went to uh starmark yes so actually starmark was back in florida Oh, so <laughs> my chronology is completely no, 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 this is like the first right. time. It, oh, okay. Right. We had to go back. Ah, so, okay. All right. I feel a little better. <laughs> James was a Florida attorney. And so he had to come to California and he really risked his career for me. Uh, he had to study for the California bar, which is the hardest bar in the country. Wow. And tried honestly tried to do it in a couple months. Okay. And when I think the second time he unfortunately wasn't able to pass, he's we kinda had that conversation of, you know, can can we go back to Florida where where my career is? Yeah. And I had gotten a lot of experience at Marin Carson, had done a couple commercials. A lot of you know online campaigns, print ads. I had that experience under my belt, so I was I was ready to to move to the next experience, which was back to Florida. Gotcha. And so yeah, the next agency I moved to, um, which had honestly pretty much the same clients. Um, so that was uh, yeah. Star. It's an easy transition that way. Yeah. Yeah. It was an easy hire for them. They didn't <laughs> <to work. laughs> right, right, right. Um, well, so now I'm just hesitant to make any presumptions or try and like lead. So I'm going to say, I'm going to ask the question, one create was your next art director role and that was in Florida or? That was in Florida. Okay. Yeah. Right. But that was a move that I knew so the difference between Marion Carson Starmark and One Create, the two advertising agencies, I was sitting at a desk, concepting, producing work. And I'm the type of person that cannot be at a desk. <laughs> I need to be moving. And I always knew that production was a 
was something I really wanted to get into as well. That's kind of the reason why I got into advertising because yeah, I yeah, loved sure. commercials. Yeah, um, yeah. And so when One Create came about, it was a, a production company randomly in Hollywood, Florida, who had some of the largest um, accounts in the United States. They had Walmart, they had Under Armour, they had Bed Bath & Beyond, and they were creating all of the still and uh, video content out of the studio. And so I transitioned, well, I, I left uh, Starmark and went to One Create and actually had a, an amazing time there. Yes. I was uh, started off sitting at a computer. They thought I was a designer. <laughs> and I quickly you know, made my point clear that no, I wanted to be on the floor with the photographers mm -hmm. and the stylists and the models, like that's my goal. And so, I offered my time, you know, when I was done designing, I would offer my time down on the floor, just assisting until they really saw, okay, this is, we could use her help and this is what she's really passionate about. So I, uh, I made my move through that company into being a photo art director. And uh, my cool. days went from filming a, a can of soup to building a full set with models and it was, it was a fun experience nice well, that's really great yeah. um your next uh adventure because it was a startup was uh court buddy yeah. right? which you um you and your husband co-founded in in 2014 is that right in 2014 is when we came up with the idea it went live in 2015 gotcha and did this originate in florida it did. Okay. All right. So guide us through the process. What was the inspiration behind Court Buddy? Yeah. So again, my husband was a Florida attorney. And at that time, he had started his own law practice. We, we built it um, up together. And um, they, he started just dreaming bigger. He was like, this is great that I have my own firm, but I'm one person. Um, and I think it was the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad yeah <laughs> really sparked something in him he wanted to go from what is it the the b quadrant to the c quadrant <laughs> nice. Nice. And so um he was always talking about it like you know how can i think of a platform that's larger than just a firm and i think the first idea we came up with was uh, like legal documents mm. and one day we saw legal zoom a legal zoom <laughs> So we're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> What's the next idea? <laughs> <laughs> so I just started listening to him more because, you know, my job was to create content and ideas for my mm. clients. So my yeah. brain was always in creation mode. Right. And so, you know, he would come home some days and tell me, hey, you know, there's a lot of people at this courthouse that are going into court alone. And when I read over their documents, because they approach me right before going in front of a judge, you know, they're, they're in trouble. They're about to lose their home. They're about to lose their kids. And so um, we started like having him ask more questions to these, to these uh, self litigants. And the questions were, you know, why, why didn't you hire an attorney? Um, you know, why, why are you doing this alone? 
And the responses that we were getting back were, number one, how do I even find an attorney? You know, I don't know where to find one that I can afford. Number two, I don't have a $10,000 retainer. Um, and then I'm going to spend all this money. How do I, how do I trust this attorney? And so I heard that response. And then I also looked at how James was running his firm and he was helping clients for $200 here, $400 there, flat, no retainers. And so I asked him, how is this working for your firm? Um, but can other firms also offer this? And that's kind of how the, the idea developed into working with solo attorneys because solo attorneys don't have the, you know, large offices, staff. you know, they're, they're really um, doing work from the, the pit of their stomach. Like, you know, they have to put food on the table. So they'll, they'll accept, you know, any price um, to, to stay in, in business. And so we started to think of the idea, well, how can we connect people with solo attorneys for a flat rate? Um, and what's interesting is after just doing more research, we found that um, courthouses to kind of help with access to justice, they were allowing attorneys to appear for single court appearances. Gotcha. So we're like, wait a minute, yeah, do we even know this? Right because that plays really well with flat rates. Exactly. So that was our, our initial concept, was connect someone with an attorney for yeah. a small court appearance, and the client could actually pick the budget. Right. So. Oh, that's great. And then yeah. if the lawyer uh, was agreeable to that fee, yeah. then uh, they, would, they would be matched. Yeah, so we started it in Miami, Florida, tested the idea and word spread quickly. Um, we were also doing, you know, business pitch competitions. Mm. And so people in other counties in the state um, were asking for access. So we opened it to the state of Florida just a couple months later. Nice. And apparently Texas came calling. I don't know what came out in Texas, but um, we had a lot of inquiries on the site from Texas. And so Texas was the next state. And then came California. Once we opened up in California, people under understand technology in California. Yeah. And the attorneys were more accepting of technology. So That's once we so in California, I feel like everything, it was a game changer for- Just for took that. off. Mm -hmm. That's so great. Well, um, and so at that point you migrated back to California? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in, we we bootstrapped the company for two years, yeah. um, just off of uh, profit, and um, at some point we decided to raise money. Okay. And our first experience was in Florida with a, like an angel firm. Mm -hmm. Terrible experience. Mm. You know, we went to due diligence with them. And then in the meeting, they hadn't even looked over all of the work that we had done. Oh. And there were attorneys in the room that were like question. It was just a terrible experience that so we were like, why would we waste our time? Let's just keep mm -hmm. building this thing. Um, you know, it's working. And then James started applying to accelerators and 
we we actually applied to five hundred startups the first right. time. Okay. Uh, we didn't make it in the first time because we yeah. didn't know how to properly pitch the company. Gotcha. And so we got the feedback. Um, and, you know, they told us, start with the numbers. Don't start with this long, drawn-out story. And so we applied again, and the second time we got in. So mm -hmm. that's what brought us to to San Francisco. Right. And we had, I think, a week from the time they told us. And mind you, we had already bought a house in Florida. <laughs> And we had a 16-month-old. Wow. Well, this is, there's that weak time frame. That weak time, tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so packed up in less than a week. Oh, wow. I remember we had a, we had a game plan. We are like, okay, Monday, we're going to pack up these three rooms. Tuesday, <laughs> we're going to pack up these three rooms. By Friday, we're on a flight. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. Wow. Now, what year was that for that five hundred? 2017 okay for 500 startups yeah that's great well um you know i've heard about i've heard amazing things about people who go through those programs and so how was your experience with them uh we we loved 500 startups you know they they taught us how to properly fundraise yeah um they gave us a lot of practice they brought in investors um who, who really honestly I don't want to say tore apart the company, but really prepared us for when we were ready to go out for our seed. Yeah. Um, and we were constantly, you know, they, they advertise the companies that are in their current batch. Right. You're constantly getting um, inbound from yeah. investors, which we weren't getting in Miami. Nobody yeah, in the world knew who we were. That makes sense. Um, I think if we were to do it again, Looking back, they do have a lot of content. Like every single day, they had something on marketing, on scaling, yeah. sales teams. And it got to the point where, you know, it was almost too much. Yeah. We still had to run the business. Yeah. Um, so we ended up dividing and conquering, like, yeah, you know, makes sense. with the customers while I would go and take notes on, on a session. So I tell people, if you can get a few interns, when you go into an accelerator, I, I think that's the best thing you could do. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, what were some of the key pivots they recommended for Court Buddy? Ooh, um, in terms of fundraising or just in terms of like just business? your business model? Um, ooh, that's a really good question because there were a few things. Um, we were focusing on business and so you could find a business attorney or you could find an attorney for a divorce right. or for uh, everyday Personal, like yeah. Yeah. um and they told us you know the business the legal space business legal space is kind of crowded yeah so why don't you drop that side and just focus on on the um non-business issues so we did that um they really helped us with, with like tracking our progress. Um, Cause we were just in the beginning. I mean, you're just running. Sure. Yeah, so exactly. They helped us with uh, really monitoring our progress, tracking it. Um, 
so that we can see, you know, where things were broken and where we can improve. Right. Oh, that's great. Sounds like a really robust experience. Now, is, is Court Buddy still existing or have you sold it? So James and I sold our, our interest, but yeah. Court Buddy is still, still thriving. Yeah, that's great. that's great. And what year did you sell? In 2019. Walk us through the decision to sell because it's always a very emotional one for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, so in 2019, we're going on five years of, of operating Court Buddy, um, James and I. And just from our experience, we, we knew that we had so much more that we wanted to do. Mm. And we had gotten to the company to the point where if we had hired um, the right management to take over our roles, you know, it, it will be fine. Yeah. Um, so that's what we decided to do. So with our investors, we, we brought in the right management team. Um, you know, we made sure we had the right staff in place and we, we decided to, to part ways with the company. Wow. Fantastic. <laughs> um, must've been, uh, were parts of it hard in terms of letting go of, of your baby? I think more on the staff. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, we, had, we had put our hearts and souls into building this great culture. Yeah. And, um, you know, and our investors wanted us to, to get rid of some roles that they felt, you know, they needed the capital to, to bring in that senior management. So that was, that was tough. I think that was the toughest part. Yeah, no, deciding where we had to trim to to move forward. Yeah, yeah, no, I could totally get that. So, in terms of the next phase of your life, which is Guardian Lane, and began with this book, My Forever Guardian, did you? When did you first conceive of of, of writing a book? Was it after you had sold your interest in Court Buddy, or was it before? It, it goes back to those summers at the pier. Yeah, so I was 17 at the time, and I was headed home, I was on the 405, and I randomly was thinking, I should write a book for other kids who have lost someone you know that they love, and teach them the ways that I stayed connected to my dad. And I remember the whole ride home, I had like written it out. I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say that. <laughs> and then I get home and I don't remember any of it. <laughs> but I still had the idea to write this book. Um, but at the time at 17 and you know, technology has gotten so much greater. True. At that time, I didn't know how to go about doing it. Yeah. So after, you know, exiting court buddy, I felt like I know how to do it now. You know, I know how to hire an illustrator. I know how to hire an editor, right. you know, Amazon, you can self publish. Yeah, that's right. So let, let, like now's the time. Yeah. Um, right. And at that moment I didn't have my next business idea. So I felt, let me take this time to, to get my, my narrative out. No, that's wonderful. So um, was the book done in 2019? 2020. Okay, so earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I had a conversation with Jason Boog, who brought us together, and he suggested I ask you about the editing process for your book. Yeah, the editing process is actually what led me to my next business idea. Fantastic. He's a smart guy, that Jason. So what's interesting is, so I'd written the manuscript and I had found an editor who had um, published her own children's book. She was a teacher. I felt she would be perfect um, to help me with this. Yeah. And so (laughs) I submitted the manuscript and she comes back. She's like, well, this is a good start. She was like, but Christina, if you're talking to children, you need characters. Uh Uh-huh. Ah, yeah. She was like, you can't just preach to kids. I was like, okay, let's build out characters. And so we started with these two main characters, Sasha and Mika. Okay. And she was like, let me take a stab at taking your words and building it into a story with these two characters. And she comes back and she's like, okay, we need more characters. (laughs) We can't just have these two characters, the whole story. But the moment she said that, I was like, wait a minute, this is a way that I can be less generic mm. because I was trying to, to have her figure out a way that we could be, you know, that we could cover everybody's loss right. through my original words. Right. But when she said we need more characters, I was like, bingo. This is a way we can introduce someone who's lost a grandparent, who's uh, lost, um, who's lost a pet, who's yes. lost, you know, maybe a, a friend or a sibling. So the main character loses a sibling, um, and then the other characters lose a grandparent, a father. So I added myself as a character, nice. and um, and uh, someone loses their dog. Okay. And at the end of this development, I realized, wait a minute, these kids have kind of built their own social healing network. (laughs) Like they're helping each other heal by telling each other about their forever guardians. So I was like, I wonder if there's like this exists in the real world. So I started digging around and the only things I could find were like localized grief groups for kids. Nothing online where these kids are bringing them all together. And so I started just digging into the space more and I thought, this is actually a really cool opportunity. Mm. And, you know, I'm looking for my next business idea. I was the grieving child that I'm building this for. So true. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. This is my next. (laughs) Really fantastic. I love when those inspirational ideas hit us and and it it strikes a chord with our passion and and what's had a a deep meaning for us and um and there really is nothing better than coming up with a company that solves a problem for you because because if you are the prototypical customer then you and you get it right for yourself you're going to get it right for others who are in that same boat um so that's really superb uh, congratulations on, on coming up with that. And so Guardian Lane is an online community. So um, children can get connected with grief counselors. Correct. Right. 
So that that's a part of it. The main the main meat and juice is it's actually a video sharing platform. So okay. grief counselors upload one to five minute grief exercises centered around creativity gotcha. um, that the kids can can watch. Gotcha. They then create their project and then upload it back to the site. And that idea kind of centered around what I actually saw my what my four year old was even interested in. Yeah. You know, she's here creating her own like YouTube videos at four and, <laughs> and wanting to watch other kids' videos. Right. And, and I'm like, you know, this, if this is what the kids are used to, um, why not bring the grief counseling into their world? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's a video sharing platform, but then if the families need additional help, they can actually book um teletherapy sessions oh, with those counselors that's great that's very uh, a very clever way to approach it um what milestones christina would you like guardian lane to achieve where you will feel personally that it's a success that's a good question um I think the first milestone the first I have, I have a couple milestones. Mm -hmm. The first milestone is making sure that I find the most engaging grief counselors, mm -hmm. not even in, in the country, but around the world. Like I want to bring the best content to these kids. Um, Second one is, of course, I mean, any, any startup, getting the word out to these kids, you know? Um, but a way that I'm doing it is actually through schools. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny, my husband was like, why are you gonna go to each individual family? He was like, go where the kids are, the schools. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and then also, you know, I'm already talking to the American Cancer Society, which oh, is, right. oh my gosh, they've been a part of my, you know, grief journey since my dad passed from cancer. Mm. And they're really excited about the platform. So mm. that would be another huge milestone. But I think the biggest milestone to know that I have created something meaningful is to actually build outside of the loss there's grief with divorce there's wow, yeah. grief bullying there's grief with military separation yes so that is the ultimate goal is to to build this platform to be available for kids who are feeling any type of grief oh that's amazing what a wonderful mission um and I, I love the trajectory that it's uh, heading towards. That's uh, that's it, it. Really is doing a great mental health service, mental wellness service to to children. And I think it's a population that often gets overlooked. Um, and parents, as much as we try, we really don't have the skill set. We haven't had a chance to develop a skill set to be able to address those uh, in a meaningful way. And you know, take away the, the, the idea that our kids are not necessarily going to open up with us completely. So, um, you know, that's another hurdle to, to get over. Point, um, kind of my development 
stages, I was in a lot of Facebook grief groups just asking questions. And one of the questions I asked, and it was also to identify the parents. Um, so it was a marketing tactic too. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, while you're deep in your own grief, how are you, do you feel like you're supporting your children when you're deep in your own grief? That was the question that I asked. How do you support your children's grief when you're deep in your own grief? And over 500 parents responded. And it was, I mean, it was, it was heartbreaking. They're like, I can't, I, I emotionally don't even have the capacity to even help them. Like I'm suffering. Mm -hmm. People, parents felt guilty. Some people even volunteered that they were the grieving child. And some even wanted to, to end their life. And oh my gosh, the responses were, it was screaming loud and clear that, yeah. that this is needed yeah yeah they need the help well it's phenomenal that um you're doing it and you're so well positioned given what you went through um and so i just love how you you've turned something that was a source of challenge and difficulty and you're putting that in service of others i couldn't think of a better way to honor your father oh thank you yeah that's really Christina, this has been such an amazing conversation. I really do appreciate your sharing with us all the, the steps you've taken in your life and the, the thinking behind them. Um, I think um, you're going to do a lot more good here than as a marine biologist. <laughs> Not that dolphins are, you know, intelligent creatures that could use your assistance, but um, you're uniquely positioned to, to do this from a place of... Uh, authenticity and I think that that always goes a long way in terms of uh, businesses and, and their mission so um, I wish you a ton of success here thank you so much again Christina great to have you on the show thank you, thank you so much